You're listening to a message from Pastor Kenny Garrett recorded at a live service at the General Baptist Church God's House of Prayer located in Fairborn, Ohio. Here we are together again in the Word this morning here on Vine Street. When you get to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, stand with me. We'll read one verse. Be in verse 5. The Bible says, Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. Will you bow your head with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, once again for the chance you've given us to assemble. Uh, For this day that you've blessed us with, I pray now, Lord, that you anoint me to preach a message you've given, anoint ears to hear, hearts to understand. Draw us each closer to each other as you draw us closer to yourself. And we will never fail to give you the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Over the last couple of weeks, we've discussed Christ's words in Matthew that says, Repent ye and believe the gospel. We've come to an understanding of what repent ye means. It's when you trade in and cast aside your idols and you start to worship Christ in your life every day. We've talked about what believing the gospel is really all about and how it's rooted and grounded in our faith. And it ultimately uh, ends with us trusting in the promises of God that are found in God's word and knowing God's word. So this morning, we turn now to where the scriptures tell us to examine ourselves. Oh my. Right? Now what? As we read that, that should um, come to our mind. It is a frightening thing if we're truthful with ourselves. Examine yourselves, rather ye be in the faith, prove your own selves. The Bible does not say to examine your past decision. The Bible does not say to examine how spiritual we feel. The Bible doesn't say to examine your good deeds. The Bible says to examine ourselves in the now, life today. How are you doing worshiping Christ instead of your idols? How are you doing trusting in the promises of God? Are we afraid to tell others the results of our self-examination? Does this fear help us or hinder us? I argue this morning that that fear that keeps us silent in our churches. When we examine ourselves and we're not really sure, we're struggling in an area, and there's no growth, is the greatest hindrance to the church today. I believe that fear is a tool of the devil, and it's that fear that allows counterfeit Christianity to thrive and provide a home for it. Remember when I told you a few weeks ago about R.C. Sproul, 
And he said that the problem with the church today is that we don't know who we are and we don't know who God is. And over the past couple of weeks, we sought to answer that. And we've arrived at the same answers, that God is the creator of heaven and earth. He is holy and deserving of praise. And that you and I are merely creatures formed from the dust. You and I are merely creatures formed from the dust. And once we have that settled, then we as a church can focus on our next problem. If I close my eyes this morning, I can still hear the old folks repeat this over the course of my life. And I'm talking about those blessed saints that went before me and they ran their Bible schools with unsugared Kool-Aid and they gave two cookies per kid. And they were covered head to their ankle in polyester and they were wearing sensible shoes. And they had Bibles look like that any moment they would just fall apart and <clears throat> end up in the floor. They were so, <clears throat> so worn out. <clears throat> if you close your <clears throat> excuse me. If you close your eyes, you can turn your mind back to that, and I know that you guys know the type of people I'm talking about. The ones that held this together way back when. And you can close your eyes and you can think back and you can I can hear them say that there's just too much of the world in the church today. There's just too much of the world in the church today. Lost people look at the church and it's just like them so they don't come. If I could turn back time and I could go back as an adult, I would, as, knowing what I know now, I would say to them my trademark line that drives Mark and Sister Debbie absolutely crazy. I would yell at them and say, you're so close, just go a little further. You're so close, just go a little further. You're almost there. You're almost arriving at the real issue that we struggle with today. Because no meeting, no church has had a meeting and said, let's be like the world. No church has come together with their board or trustees or congregation in a business meeting and said, hey, I tell you what we need to do. We need to be more like lost people. Those words have not been spoken. Nobody's uh, suggested that inside the church. And our Methodist brothers and sisters right now are going through a denominational split. But no, I, I would argue, of course I wasn't there, but it's a pretty good guess that that split didn't start with somebody coming in and standing up and saying, you know what, we need to be more like the world. It doesn't start that way. It doesn't happen that way. Now, you and I are sitting here today. If you look at what's going on in the Methodist denomination, you should ask yourself, how did it happen? What went on there? And when we think of that, we think... We, we automatically cross our arms and think that will never happen in a church that I'm a part of. Do remember this issue with the Methodists and splitting over homosexuality. 
because we're going to come back to that at the end of the service. You'll need that at the end of the sermon this morning. But they didn't start out by saying we need to be more like the world. We need to carry that line of thought further because those old people, those old blessed saints that come before us, they weren't wrong. They just weren't at the, the core of the issue. That fear that I talked about earlier that promotes counterfeit Christianity is, uh, plays into the reason why our churches seem too worldly. It's not because that's what we're geared towards. It's because that fear promotes a false counterfeit Christianity. And we have churches filled with people that profess that they're Christians but are not. And therein lies our true problem. They profess Christianity, but ultimately they are not. Yes, they might have prayed a prayer one time, and they might be able to repeat what the gospel is, along with some other Bible verses that suit them. And they may have been emotional or sincere when they raised their hand. They might have been sincere when they came forward to the altar. They might have been sincere when they checked a box on a card in a pew. But they do not worship God in their daily lives, and they do not trust his promises. When they examine themselves today, if they're honest, they have a hard time showing how they worship God and how they trust his promises. Instead of clinging to Christ, they cling to the idol of self. And instead of trusting the word of God, they trust in what they believe. They've been in our churches for decades, and the world sees them. And their lives look no different than the world. And when lost people pass by, they form the opinion that if that's what being a Christian is, then I'll pass. Because they don't see a life transformed by Christ. They don't see that somebody was a thief, and now they're not. That's real Christianity. When you're worshiping God daily in your life. When you've cast aside your idols. When you're trusting and leaning on the promises of God and the word of God past what you believe. Now we're talking about real Christianity. That changes lives. Now as you sit here, you may be thinking, Kenny's not talking about me, I'm a real Christian. And we've discussed how the Bible tells us to examine ourselves. So if we do that and we examine ourselves and we're uh, truthful with ourselves, you could come up with a list on how you worship Christ yesterday and the day before and how you're leaning on the promises of God. Coming to church today doesn't count as worshiping in this self-examination. I'm getting some eyebrows raised on that. When we worship Christ together on Sunday, we're worshiping collectively. The Bible charges us to do that, but also we must worship individually every day of the week. Amen. This is the time we come together and express our worship as a group. But you should have worshiped yesterday, and you should worship tomorrow on your own. Now, if the thought of saying publicly... Uh, how you worship Christ in your daily life is terrifying to you uh, because your answer would be too short or non-existent, then to be blunt, 
uh, you have some, some issues in your spiritual life. There's no other way to put it. And I don't um, want to be confrontational or shocking this morning just for the sake of that, uh, but this is heaven and hell that we're discussing. This is not playtime and not uh, pretend time. This is uh, where you'll dwell for eternity. Now, as scary as the thought of you coming forward and telling other people how you worship Christ in your life this week and how you're leaning and trusting and clinging to the promises of God in your life, the good news is um, you may be thinking that I'm so glad he's really not going to make us do that this morning, right? And we can kind of relax a second, but there's a reality that someday you will. You'll stand and you'll give an account, and it won't be really in front of us. I, we'll be there, but uh, we won't be your concern at that point. You're going to stand before your Creator and give an account for how you worshiped Him and how you trusted and leaned on His promises and how He was in your life every day. When we're done with that account, we will either hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, or depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I never knew you. There's a reality in that. Amen. So have I got your attention this morning? Are we all with me? The good news is that God is a loving God and he knows us. He knows more than our name. He knows our intentions, our abilities, our time management, our desires, our past and our future. He knows about our growth in Christ. He knows that we're not perfect. And he knows that we are not what we once were. Amen? He has blessed us with the Holy Spirit. He's blessed us with our time on earth. He's blessed us with the church body. All these things affect our growth in Christ. All these things point us to worshiping Christ a little more as the day goes by. Now, it doesn't matter if you're here and you're 9 or 99. Your focus should be on worshiping Christ a little more every day. Praising Christ a little more every day. And he's also blessed us with his word. And this also affects our growth in Christ. It's directly tied to our faith. How can you trust in the promises of God if you don't know what they are? Now, before you get too upset, you're, I'll tell you that your salvation doesn't depend on you becoming a Bible scholar because that's not accurate. Time's a factor, ability's a factor, and so on. And, and I don't want to get weighed down this morning by a bunch of uh, what-ifs and... Uh, peculiar situations to explain. Uh, so I'll explain it this way. As you examine yourself in the faith, know that how you approach the Word of God will tell you a lot about where you are spiritually. Okay? How you approach the Word of God will tell you a lot about how you are spiritually One of the red flags 
counterfeit Christianity is reading the Bible to back up what we believe already. Uh, it's, it's a huge red flag. Um, we should approach the Bible as a word of the living God. Now that's speak of the redeemed and blessed. So we'll, we'll stretch that out a little further. When you open your Bibles at home and you start to read and you start to study, you let the Word of God shape who you are and what you think. Not the other way around. You don't enter into a Bible study or approach the Word of God with preconceived notions of what you think is right and wrong and that whole list of I believe, I believe, I believe in this. Uh, you don't do that. You start with the Word of God and, and you go with what it tells you in the context of the entire Bible. So all this works and all this fits together. There's no contradictions in here. You have to understand all the verses. Now, like I said, the good news is that, by, that God knows us. He knows everything about us. So to, for, to be saved, you don't know, need to go into a three-year, 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week Bible study so that you know it all. The Lord has blessed us with uh, our church body, with the Holy Spirit. There's growth. Uh, it's, it's, and I don't want you to get weighed down by that idea. Um, but the, the issue is your intention on how you approach the Word of God. Is it instructing you or are you trying to use it uh, for your own purposes and your own agenda? I say that uh, so that we understand. I often, if you listen to me and Mark banter back and forth, I always kid Mark about monkery. And what monkery is is the act of being a monk. And I've always said that Mark would have made a fantastic monk because of all the people I know, Mark approaches Bible study for no other purpose than it's of God. And he wants to know what God has to say. There, there's, I don't know too many people uh, that have got that that quickly. He's been doing it for years. He just loves the word of God. And that's a product of salvation. It's not, it's not, not Bill didn't have anything to do with that really. And Linda didn't have anything to do with that really. That's a product of God, product of salvation. And we should imitate Mark in that way as he imitates Christ. We need to know what the, what the word of God says so that we then um, start to position ourselves as to where we are, creatures formed out of the dust, worshiping a living God, knowing what he promises us and what he has to say. Because without that, our beliefs start to take over. I've been hitting hard on this idea of beliefs. And you may, sometimes we kind of chuckle about it. You may ask, what's the problem? What's the big deal? Somebody believes a little something that they believe. Most of the time, doesn't really manifest itself too much. However, if it takes hold in a personality, 
and we say, I don't believe in church membership, but the Word of God discusses it. Matthew chapter 18, Hebrews 13. How do you ignore that? Right? I don't believe in, in praying for and healing. Well, that's in the Word of God. And we start, you, what you do is you end up decades later uh, unable to lean on the promises of God because you don't know what's in there. Or even worse, you've made up enough of your own beliefs and traditions that that trumps, in your mind, what even the Word of God says. I'll tell you a little story in closing. Two things. I'll tell you this before I tell you the story. Two things shocked me. Uh, when I became a pastor, one of those things was the amount of scripture that I have been quoted, that have been, has been quoted to me that does not exist. And also, the amount, I hear about everything. Everybody has an opinion on what the church should be doing, that sort of thing. And I hear them all the time, and they're all different, and they're all well-meaning, don't get me wrong. But the one thing that I never hear about is anything to do uh, with the Lord's Supper or baptism. Nobody ever mentions that to me. Nobody ever wants to talk about it, and nobody ever really has any opinion on it. My guess is because we really don't know about it, and nobody's really taught well about it, so nobody feels comfortable discussing it. Uh, so those are two major things that always jump out with me. We have people quoting Bible verses that don't exist, and people that have no concern over the Lord's Supper or baptism. We'll talk a little bit more about that next week. But I'll tell you this story. Remember the Methodists that we discussed? How does that happen? Do they come together and say, hey, let's be more worldly? Or, hey, let's just tear this church apart. What do you think? Nobody would ever go along with those ideas. But I know a guy. I know a guy that got together with some Christians so-called Christians. A couple pastors in the city was involved. And they had a lot of beliefs. I believe, I believe, I believe this is wrong. And they got together and they worked each other up and worked them into a lather. This guy goes down to his church. He's going to set that church straight. Now I think, as much as I know the guy, he meant well. He thought he was doing right. I think when he combed his hair that morning and looked in the mirror, he saw the old prophets of old, and he was going to go tell God's people how it was. And these, this group of people had decades of pew sitting amongst them. Three pastors was involved beforehand. And they worked this guy all up, and he goes into the church, he goes into the business meeting, with the attitude, he's prepared. Stayed up all night, pounding on his keyboard, and working on his computer. Shows up at the, the business meeting with the idea that they will believe what I have to tell them or I'll rip this church apart. Now, he may not have said those words, but that's what he's thinking. There can be no other way. And it's so important to me and so true 
that the people of God hear this, that it's worth attacking the church and attacking the church people and ripping it apart. It's that important. He stands up and he starts into his speech and he gives a little bit of a bizarre introduction. And then he starts to quote Bible verses that do not exist. I want you to think about that. Here's this guy ripping this church apart, quoting Bible verses that don't exist. Now, I sit back and I think, didn't somebody say something as they were getting all worked up? Didn't somebody crack a Bible at some point? Didn't these ministers say, hey, that's not in the Word of God? I wasn't there with the Methodists, but I assume that's kind of probably how it started there. That somebody, somewhere along the line in their denomination, decided that what they felt and how they believed was way more important than what the Word of God said. And that they would decide what was right and what was wrong. And they stood up and declared it. And that's, where the, that's when the I believes become dangerous. Stand with me this morning. <clears throat>